Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and co-author Nancy Saxton Lopez, and also a special guest who we'll be in introducing in just a couple of minutes. This program is a program that we deliver live on Facebook and YouTube once a week on Thursdays at six o'clock for about a half hour. And it is an experience that allows us to expand the the information that we delivered in our book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups, to a broader audience. We've been facilitating pet loss groups for a really long time. Nancy, for a really, really long time, 30 plus years, and me for about 12 or 13 years at this point. We like very much to hear from you. And so if you have a story that you'd like to share with us and perhaps share with our audience as well, or if you'd like to give us a recommendation for a topic or a guest, please get in touch with us. You can reach me at kenddv at gmail.com. And you can reach Nancy at nsaxtonlopez, that's N-S-A-X-T-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z at csmpc.com. All this information that I'm sharing in the beginning here is available also in the description that goes along with this program. You can support our work in a number of ways through Venmo, through PayPal, through a monthly subscription. And again, all that's in the, in the description. This program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society. Dakin is in Springfield, Mass. And you can learn more about all the good things that they do at dakinhumane.org. That's D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E. Org. One of the great things they do is they sponsor a cost-free Zoom pet loss support group that I facilitate. It is on the second Tuesday of the month and runs from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. You will find an RSVP link in the program description, and you can join from anywhere in the world. And I want to stress again that this is free. There's no cost for you to participate. The next one is on the 11th of April and so that's coming up soon. And also, finally, please consider subscribing to the program on YouTube if you find value in it. Because this, when the more people subscribe, the higher the program shows up on the list of resources when people are looking for this kind of support. So if you're not watching on YouTube, there is a link to the program uh, in the description. And then you can go and, and press the button to subscribe from there. Nancy, want to get us started? Yes. Dr. McCaffrey, we are so happy that you have joined us tonight. Dr. McCaffrey and I are colleagues. You know, we have worked together. I'm the emotional support and resource person. And Dr. McCaffrey is a well-known um, veterinarian, but a few years back, and I think I want you to talk about that a little bit, she decided to go into hospice acupuncture, and end-of-life euthanasia. Um, and I think that's a very important topic for all of us. We have talked about euthanasia a lot on our podcasts and how difficult that is. And this wonderful woman is is doing that for her clients. Um, her her um, practice is senior pet vet, and she's in northern uh, New Jersey. Um, but Dr. McCaffrey, please tell us how you got involved in this specialty. Well, first of all, I want to say it's such an honor to be here. So thank you, Ken and Nancy, for having me and for 
providing this really valuable resource um, in an accessible way for people that need it. Uh, I see it every day. Um, people need this, this help. So thank you. Um, so yeah, I've been exclusively practicing end of life hospice palliative care medicine for about four years now. Um, I've been practicing, um, for over 10. <laughs> it's crazy to say that now, but, um, yeah, so about five years, five years ago, um, you know, I realized there was there was a gap in the care we were providing as a general practitioner. So from the time of a terminal or life limiting diagnosis to end of life, it was, you know, kind of like, here's some medicine and call us when it's time. And, and I felt like, <clears throat> you know, there was a lot more we could do for those for those patients. But in a busy general practice, you just don't have the time and space for it, um, aside from maybe some phone calls and things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was actually at a at a continuing education conference. I was um, I saw a lecture on euthanasia and I was like, wow, you know, I do that very regularly in general practice. But I didn't receive a lot of education on that in veterinary school. It was just something we kind of like learned how to use the medicine. And that was about it. So I went in and. Um, it was the first lecture of the day and I was like, wow, wow, this is my calling. The whole day I spent in that track because it wasn't just euthanasia. It was also, you know, um, palliative hospice care. This was in a new and emerging field. Um, at that time, it was less than like about five years old. It's it's a little over 10 years old now, the, oh, the, that field in veterinary medicine. So it's new and emerging, um, but it was exciting to, to be a part of that. And so I very quickly... Uh, made some big changes in my career and uh, became certified in hospice medicine and um, started the practice. Excellent. So t tell us a little bit about it, what happens when someone calls you. You know, what is the process that you go through with a new client? Yeah. So the first thing we do is make sure that they're a candidate for my care, right? Um, because sometimes people just call and maybe their pet has something that's very treatable or curable. Um, so we'll have them fill out some intake paperwork and things like that. Most people reaching out to me, though, are in need of my services. Um, and so, you know, what we talk a lot about in terms of the care I provide is, you know, we're switching from a cure to comfort. And so it's in no way giving up on your pet, um, but really just taking a different approach. So um, whether that diagnosis is terminal, like a cancer diagnosis, um, or it, you know, just life limiting, severe arthritis, um, you know, chronic kidney disease can kind of fall into either of those categories, but more often life limiting. Um, and so what can we do to give them the best day each day uh, for as long as possible? That's typically uh, what we do. So they'll, they'll call me. We'll set up an intake. I review all of the medical records, oftentimes from several vets. Oftentimes there's specialists involved as well as their family vet. Um, I work as a part of that team. So I'm a, per a tertiary part of that team. I in no way replace either of those veterinarians, but work to um, provide, um, you know, evaluating the in-home environment and, you know, making sure that there's comfort there. So a lot of pain management and uh, a lot of so, yeah. pain management, treatment, and also acupuncture, I think you, you can yeah. use with that, correct? Yeah. So a lot of the patients I see have kind of, ex many of them have exhausted traditional Western therapies. Mm -hmm. And so the acupuncture is an excellent tool in my toolbox, uh, so to speak, 
to bring out. Um, and it can make a tremendous difference for certain patients, especially, you know, arthritic, um, orthopedic, or sometimes neurologic patients. So it's something that we can try that is tolerated really well, surprisingly for most people, the dog, dogs and cats will tolerate it well. And um, so that can help, you know, with pain management um, as well. And so it's a nice tool to have for sure. Dr. McCaffrey, I wonder if you could talk some, we've heard a little bit about this idea of futile care. I wonder if you could talk about the difference between futile care mm -hmm. and what you do with palliative care. Right. So I think some people hear hospice care and animals and uh, some people I get two reactions. They're like, that's amazing. Like my people, they get it. And then some people are like, you do what? You know, um, like, are you going like, what are you doing? Are you are we prolonging things too long? Um, you know, are you just not willing to like say goodbye to your pet? But really, that is not at all what we're doing. Again, the key is to provide comfort and the most amount of comfort. And when we can no longer provide comfort each day, that's when we make a decision, right? Um, and so, you know, the, I think that it's a misconception, Ken, to be honest with you. Um, and so, you know, but I have the other end of the, you know, pendulum swings the other way too. Some people are, are I find more often afraid to pursue hospice or palliative care because they don't want to give up on their pet. Mm. And so, um, you know, it's like, well, I'll admit that my pet's sick, but I don't want to admit my pet's dying. And well, so that's, let me, let me just jump in and ask, do you sometimes have to talk with people about the likelihood that trying to do another procedure or trying another kind of treatment is going to be futile and it's actually going to be it's going to increase their suffering rather than diminish it. Yeah. We talk a lot about that. I mean, the patient personality, like an animal that gets tremendously stressed every time they need to go to the vet, if they need to be receiving weekly treatments, is that worth pursuing an animal that doesn't tolerate anesthesia well at all? Why would we put them through radiation therapy when they need to be anesthetized every day for that? Things like that are certainly discussed. And a common phrase I use is just because you can does not mean you should. Mm -hmm. That's great. Right. So we really have to look at the the family, um, their ability to provide care, as well as the pet's ability to tolerate treatment. Um, so so it's, it's a all around kind of, you know, assessment, right? Because yeah, yeah. you need to know the family, you need to know the environment, you need to know everything about the pet. Um, and and I think when we were talking ahead of time you know, you do mobile, right? You go out, but if this is your own practice in the context of end of life hospice palliative care. Um, but some people, you know, that we have talked to through our podcasts and, and our emails have used some mobile vets and have had not the best experience. And that can also happen, I guess, in, in, in a practice also, I mean, right. unfortunately. But what you, you are saying, which I want you to really talk about, is that it's important to, to meet, hopefully meet that person. Right. Because right. I think what you said, when you do talk about end of life, you spend time with the family and really do quite an assessment, right? Yeah. And the number one people say to me, the number one thing they say to me is, I wish I found you sooner. I wish I knew about the care you provide. And I feel like, you know, it could have made such a big difference. And so certainly, you know, regardless of where you are, if you're considering using an in-home provider for the first time for a euthanasia visit, um, 
you can consider, you know, perhaps having them come out and do a quality of life assessment before. I do that commonly um, because a lot of times there's a lot of questions around, you know, what is my pet's quality of life right now? Like I know it's probably close to the time, but I'm just not sure. And I need someone to fully evaluate this this case and 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 guide me a little bit. And so those visits, oftentimes when I schedule them, they're between an hour and an hour and a half. And I sit in the home and we have an exam on the pet, we review the medical records, and then a really long talk about quality of life for that pet. Um, and some people will then transition that appointment into a euthanasia. Some people will then maybe schedule it, you know, within a short period of time where some people will enter into a, a palliative slash hospice care program and will provide some alternative treatments. And I've had some of those cases go days, weeks, even over yeah. a year. <laughs> so, um, you know, getting that, that opinion and then you also meet the vet and you can kind of see like how you feel like you vibe with them, so to speak, and make sure that they're the right fit for that final visit, because that's a really significant time. And you really want to have kind of, I think the more planning you do ahead of time, the better, not just with the vet that you choose and meeting them ahead of time, but also making plans for aftercare, all these, maybe any uh, ceremonies or rituals you might want to have at the time of euthanasia. I've had people read beautiful poems and letters, have flowers. I mean, like amazing things, but it's all about doing that planning ahead of time. And I think that planning helps with grief. Um, once you start doing that planning, it's hard to step into that, but there's some, it, it already starts a little bit of that, um, closure, yeah. um, that you can, that you can experience. So I would strongly advise it also too, in the moment, it's hard to think. So having everything yeah. kind of decided and planned, um, and knowing the vet that's coming and that's not a wild card, I think is a, is a wise choice. If it can be done, I mean, obviously there, you had this probably as a veterinarian in a regular practice that the person or the, the pet parents would bring their animal in and then it was, well, it needs to happen, right? Yeah, or yeah. there's even the accident or just a collapse of some sort. And then, I mean, you work with them the best you can, but it's, I have to make a decision, right? And they're not necessarily ready to do that. Unfortunately, those things happen. But if you can, we talk about have take take your pet home and take them and and have a life review with them and spend time with them before that actual date, you know, time of euthanasia. You know, yeah, like you're saying. And I think like there are emergencies, right? Situations where yeah. the decision has to be made right away. But I think there are also urgent euthanasias that can wait 12 hours. Good. And that it's not inhumane. I mean, we don't want to be inhumane, but there are situations where like, you know, and I think that's a question worth asking if you're ever in that situation, like, is it possible for me to bring my pet home and have him euthanized at home or her euthanized at home? Like if, and again, that's where, you know, just be at any point in your pet's life, being familiar with the, with the services and the providers around you, or even in that moment, doing a quick search for it to see, you know, having that as an option, or even just taking them home for a few hours to be with them, and then maybe taking them back to the emergency hospital. But I think that that can provide a little bit of time and space for the grief to happen. And it's definitely not for everyone. Um, but another thing that sometimes people will do and, and don't realize is an option is maybe holding on to their pet's body afterwards for a short period of time, a couple of hours can provide 
a lot of peace um, and, and, and time to grieve and grieve well. And so um, even for those, you know, sudden emergent situations, you may not have the time before, but you can have the time after. Um, if that's something you're comfortable with, it's not for everyone, but it is an option um, that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. And I think it's good that you're, we're talking about this, right? Because there are other options that will be helpful in the beginning of that grieving. Yeah. Well, it's anticipatory grief, grief a lot of times, but at that time of euthanasia. And, and Dr. McCaffrey, uh, you mentioned that you do a quality of life assessment and I believe that you can also do that remotely through Zoom if there isn't a provider with similar qualifications in the in the person's area. Yeah, so I, I can do virtual consults and you know telehealth is a little bit different than what we can do in the home because I cannot prescribe medication, but a lot of these visits are just let's look at the medical records, let's look at the pet, let's talk about what, you know, where you guys are at look at the home environment. We can do that virtually. I can, you know, see the pet virtually and get an idea of, you know, their overall demeanor and where they're at. So yes, um, definitely an option for, for a virtual consultation, um, just to get an idea of quality of life. It's, it's definitely a much needed resource. And, and I, I think of, I think of that as being a, a way for a person who is you know, not sure as, as we all are really, we're trying to figure out like mm -hmm. what's the right time and, and is it, is it really time? Is it, you know, and, and to have an expert give an opinion, even if it's in addition to their regular vet could probably be very, very helpful to many people. Yeah, sometimes it is. And I think to an outside opinion, you know, it's, it's like looking at the whole thing from 10,000 feet. Because there's oftentimes, like I said, a lot of doctors involved in the care. Um, and so you have your family doctor, you might have a cardiologist, you might have an oncologist, and then also an ophthalmologist. I mean, there can be so many moving parts, plus doctors that are doing the imaging. And so to take it all at once and look at it and then look at it in the context of quality of life specifically is valuable and can provide additional insight for sure. This quality of life that the scales are are helpful, but they're not necessarily exact, right? So you have to make your decisions and that in that format of, well, he's a five, he's supposed to be a 10, uh, you know, or is he in pain? Or, you know, um, is he having better days than, than, than not? Because with elderly dogs, they sleep a lot. So, you know, it's, it, it is that, you know, a, an indicator of a, not a good day? You know, so it, it, it is better, I think, to talk to or would be helpful to talk to um, a professional. Because yeah, and, and one trick for quality of life that I'd love to share, uh, if I may, is, you know, like you talked about, Nancy, like today's a five. Does that mean he's suffering? Well, yeah. I think you have to look at it again from you know, a, like a 10,000 feet kind of level. And that's where uh, journaling your pet's quality of life every day, giving them like either, depending on how detail oriented you are, like a plus or minus for good day, bad day, or even ranking each day on a scale of one to 10. Quality of life is so subjective. And by creating this data, you're making it more objective for yourself. You can look at how they were three Tuesdays ago, because quite frankly, who remembers that, right? But if you're writing it down, you'll know. And oftentimes you can see trends. And I think that that becomes very helpful. It's something I encourage all of my um, 
palliative hospice care patients to do um, just to get a little bit more of an objective uh, look at things, you know. That's very cool. Can you share some thoughts on involving children in the decision-making and in the experience? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally open to that. Um, I think, you know, when I first started practicing, I was incredibly uncomfortable with that idea, but (laughs) as a mom and also as a hospice veterinarian who has had children attend in beautiful ways, I'm totally for it. I think first and foremost, it should be the parent's decision to even offer the opportunity, right? We know our kids best as parents. Um, And then I think it's good oftentimes to give the child the choice, right? Mm -hmm. So you can say, you know, talk to them depending on their age, um, knowing A, are they emotionally capable of handling it? And then B, you know, do they want to be there? And giving them that option. And then also definitely having a vet that's going to be comfortable with that. Because again, you know, I mean, that's a very, very, delicate moment and you really want it to be handled as perfectly as possible, especially if children are going to be there. But I think it can be, you know, our dogs teach our kids, you know, love, responsibility, companionship, and they can teach us about death well too. Um, My own uh, daughter attended my, my pet's um, euthanasia when she was about four and a half years old. And she was like, magnificent. I was so proud of her. You know, she, uh, you know, but also to the other thing I'll mention to parents is like, think about how you're going to be in that moment too, yeah. because sometimes seeing a parent really, really upset, yeah. be upset be or upset for the kid, or, you know, for the child of any age, of any age, then the euthanasia itself. And so, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind too. If you really want to be able to just not worry about that and you know, you're going to be very upset you know, maybe, maybe consider not having them there, but I think more kids can be there. Um, yeah. They're more resilient than we think. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I kind of feel too, like if you're going to get really upset, so be it Yeah, I mean, within limits. Like you don't want to be falling on the right. floor, pounding your, your fist, right. but if, That's... but because everything that we do as parents provides a role model for our kids and teaches mm-hmm. them yeah. that this is, this is how we feel. And this is how we manage how we feel. Yeah. And it's okay that very sad things happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to cry and to see mom and dad cry because they love, you know, this pet too. And it's okay for you to cry, you know, absolutely. Um, I think again, they teach, they teach us so many things and I think it's a bittersweet, beautiful thing they can teach our children at the end too. Yeah. So when you go into euthanasia, what what the actual, you know, performing of that, how do people react? What are their questions and how do you explain it? Because obviously they're nervous, they're anxious, they're sad, they're, you know, they're emotional. Yeah. So I think what's nice about in-home euthanasia is people have a lot of time. Like there's, I mean, these types of appointments are not emergencies, emergency, emergencies. Sometimes they're same day, but they usually have some time to prepare with the pet alone before I get there. So I find most of the time when I'm there, people are ready. They've been watching the clock. They know that I'm coming. Um, so we'll settle in. I'll, I'll get to know them. I'll greet the pet. I'll greet the family. We'll settle in the home. Um, a lot of times we've had conversations ahead of time discussing the procedure, any questions they might have, that sort of thing um, ahead of time. But I will always ask, like, do you have any questions about what we're about to do, um, what the procedure looks like? And then I will still regardless of questions, give a quick, brief 
summary of what it's going to look like. It's a two-step procedure, you know, um, that sort of thing. We'll give sedation first and then, you know, give the final injection. Um, you know, so we'll just talk about that. And then um, when they're ready, we'll, we'll start the procedure um, from there. And, and there's something like there could be, I mean, a reaction, I guess. I mean, and that's something that I know that you would probably say, you know, yeah, probably yeah. won't be, but there could be, and this might, you know, so that they're prepared in case. So, yeah. And I don't like to list a list of everything that could possibly go wrong before I do the procedure. Um, because, but what I will do certainly is if I see things happening, I will explain to people as it's happening. This is just, you know, this normal. sometimes their muscles twitch a little bit when the sedation kicks in. So we'll just say, this is normal. This is just the, the anesthetic drug from the sedation. Sometimes the muscles get a little twitchy, very normal, you know, just so people don't think or worry that, you know, something is out of control or, 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 or is happening that shouldn't be, um, you know, that sort of thing. You know, my big thing is giving the sedation injection. That's the big warning I give is, you know, we'll give treats and scratch behind the ears and try and distract pets from that injection as much as possible. And in my dream world, and I try to do it as often as possible, they don't notice it going in, but sometimes they react, right? Mm -hmm. They'll always say this is the only part of the whole procedure they'll feel and we do everything we can for them to not even notice it but sometimes they'll you know they'll react just like they're getting a vaccine or a medicine injection and so as it goes along you're there talking to them talking to the pet parents talking to the animal and okay yeah and it depends like some people are chatters i mean i'm a i'm a talker as you can tell but some people want quiet and so you have to feel the room I think, yeah. you know, some people have music playing. I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful to have a little bit of music. Some people will light a fire even in the summer because it creates a nice, you know, a nice mood or light candles, um, you know, so, so it depends. And some people want to laugh. It sounds crazy, but some people want to laugh and tell stories and joke and it lightens the moment. That's what they want to do. And so I will kind of follow that lead. Some people are really solemn and quiet and I can follow that lead as well. Um, you know, so we'll sometimes have some gentle conversation, sometimes some jovial conversation, sometimes just silence. Just yeah. depends on the family. Depends on the, yeah, it depends on the family. Yeah. It depends on the person. Well, it's just, it, it, to me, it demonstrates how important it is for you as the practitioner to be sensitive and to mm -hmm. be really empathic to what they're feeling, mm -hmm. how crucial that is. Yeah. And that's, it is very important. I mean, how do you, what, ha how do you take care of yourself? I mean, this is something that, you know, I mean, this is not the easiest of things to do. Um, I, you know, obviously you want, especially in the hospice area, the palliative area and, and acupuncture, I mean, you're helping that that pet not be in pain, right? But when it comes to that time, obviously this is also what you do. So how how do you how do you take care of yourself with this? It's funny. It's it's literally asked at almost every euthanasia appointment, like, how do you do this? You know? Um and you know, there's a lot of levels of that for me. I mean, one, this is not just a professional calling, but for me it's a spiritual calling. Mm -hmm. I truly, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer in God and I feel like he called me to this work um, to minister to, to families that are grieving. Um, mm -hmm. And so 
that immediately lightens the burden because I feel like I'm operating in what I've been designed to do. Um, also, as crazy as it sounds, like this is um, work that is so valued and appreciated. Yeah. I can't tell you the number of cards that I receive, um, pictures of pets in their prime enclosed in it and, and words of just such gratitude, um, thanking me for, for being there when they needed me. And so it's hard, it's heavy. There are times I get in the car and cry. Absolutely. But, um, I'm not doing something that, um, I'm doing something that needs to be done. I'm helping a pet, you know, and, and the way I explain it to children when they're present, you know, and I, and my own daughter too, is like, you know, this pet's going to pass away and we're just helping them. We're making it easier for them. So I'm giving these pets a good death, which is what these wonderful babies deserve. And so as heavy as it is and as sad as it is, I mean, A, there's like that spiritual component for me, but also it's really rewarding work um, to give, you know, give pets a, a good ending. The yeah. best ending they can get with their family. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's not it's not that, you know, we would say, Kat and I in the group all the time, you're not killing your animal, the diseases. And you're ending their suffering. Helping them. Using their helping suffering. them. You're, yeah. yeah. You know, and like one path, one word, one analogy I use is like a path, right? And this is what was taught to me in my hospice training. I love it. Like there's two paths, right? The end is this lake that we're walking to, right? And one path is a straight, clear predictable path. And that's the path of euthanasia. And the other one is this like windy up and down. We don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know what obstacles are in the way. You know, that's kind of the path prior to euthanasia, but also more towards the natural death component. And so, you know, knowing that you're taking that, you want your pet to have that easy walk to the lake, I think most of the time. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 So we are just about out of time. So we want to thank Dr. McCaffrey so much for being with us and let you know that you can learn more about her at seniorpetvet.com. And that information is in our description. Also, just want to remind you, if this is helpful for you, this program, please do consider pressing the subscribe button on YouTube so that it can become more readily known to others as well. So thank you so much. Dr. Thank you, McCaffrey. Dr. McCaffrey. Really it's it. been wonderful. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate you having me on here, guys. Welcome.